Well, welcome back to our latest series, All the Feels. This one's about emotions. Emotions and what we do with them. What we feel is powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. It has a profound impact on the decisions that we make, on the directions that we take in life. But at times, our feelings can be overwhelming. Do you ever experience this? What we feel can be confusing. We're not quite sure what to make of it, what to, what to do with it, how to handle it. And the aim of this series is to provide a map for navigating our moods, navigating the fields in a healthy way. Last week in part one, we explored how God designed us with emotions. This is part of his, his creative process. It's part of what it means to be made in his image. This is one way that we reflect what God is like. God feels. He feels, and he made us to feel too. Like him, we are wired so that what goes on around us affects what goes on inside of us. That's intentional. But living in a less than perfect world, as less than perfect people, at times our emotions can err. They can, they can miss the mark. They, they deviate sometimes in directions they were not intended to. One way that this happens is that emotions can drive us. Right? We hold up our feelings, um, we, we hold up our emotions as the standard of truth, the standard of right or wrong. And when that happens, they, they take the wheel and they take us to problematic places. Other times we can overcorrect. We can go in the opposite direction, the opposite extreme, and we detach completely from what we feel. We, we disconnect, which is just as bad because that robs us of part of what it means to reflect who God is. Neither extreme is the right way. A better perspective for us is to use our emotions as a dashboard. They, they give us some information on what's going on inside of us on what is going on around us. And as we sit in the driver's seat, we use the readouts to make informed decisions of what we should do next. But that leads us to a question, doesn't it? How, how do we read the gauges? And how, do, how do we interpret the information, the signals that our emotions are giving us? The good news is that God doesn't just give us emotions. Tell us to figure it out. He's also given us a user manual. The scripture has a lot to say on this subject. And today for our first emotion, as I said, we're going to get into some specific emotions in this series. Our first emotion that I want to talk about is anger. This is going to be a fun one, isn't it? And if you know anything about this, anger. I'm told that there have been individuals in my family tree that were known to get so angry, they would literally start jumping up and down, literally hopping mad. Have you ever done that? Of all the emotions that we experience, this is among the most common and the most potent, for good or for bad. Um, I decided to have a little fun with the title today and call this conversation you mad, bro? You mad? 
Uh, so would you, would you have, join in the fun with me. Would you turn to somebody and, and ask them that question. You mad, bro? You mad? I'm mad that you're asking me dumb questions. That's what I'm mad about. There are any number of places in the Bible to which we could turn to dig into this. None is more informative and insightful than the life of Jesus. Together we're exploring a story that's found in the Gospels. Those are, of course, accounts, records of his life and his ministry. I invite you to open up a Bible or Bible app and meet me in the account that's written down by John. John, the Gospel of John. Now, just a a, a bit of a footnote here. I was asked just this past week, how do we know that the Bible is true? How, how can we be certain that we can trust it? Maybe you've asked that question yourself. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm basing my life on, on this document. How do I know that it's accurate? How do I know that it's reliable? And that, that's a great big question that deserves an in-depth answer. But for now, I'll take an opportunity to respond to it in part. The individual who wrote this account, John, was a follower of Jesus. He's one of the 12 disciples. This is a guy who knew Jesus personally. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He interacted with Jesus. And just as in court proceedings where we rely on eyewitness testimony to establish the facts of a case, so in our faith we rely on eyewitness testimony. We go back to the record of those who were there, those who saw what happened. John's one of those guys. Later on in his life, he writes a letter, also in the scriptures, called 1 John. And he says that he's passing on to the next generation of believers things that he himself saw. Things that he himself heard, that he himself touched. In other words, this isn't secondhand information. This isn't us extrapolating, filling in blanks, making assumptions. I was there. I saw this happen. And and I'm telling you that it's true. John's account is also echoed by others who were there. There's, There's parallels that confirm and corroborate what he says. And this church is just one of numerous reasons why we can have confidence in the Bible. All right, did I give you enough time to get there? Back to the topic at hand. As the intersection of God and humanity, Jesus is 100% both, he shows us how to live our lives in a way that is honoring to God and is healthy to us. And you need to know that that includes emotions. That includes anger. Jesus got angry. Let's consider how he handles this one. We find the story in John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Here we go. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip. Like I said, it's going to be a fun one. He made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. 
Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Let's press pause right there. So to set the scene, Jesus travels to the capital city of Jerusalem for the Passover. The Passover is a a holy day. It's a sacred remembrance of how God rescued his people from their slavery in Egypt. How did that happen? God sent a plague on Egypt. He sent many plagues on Egypt, but they refused to listen. The final one, death struck the firstborn in Egypt, but those whose doorposts were marked by the blood of a sacrificial lamb were safe. After this, Egypt yielded to God. They finally submitted, relented, said, fine, your people can go. Get them out of here. Now, this is, of course, a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us on the cross. But I digress. God then instructed his people to repeat this this sacrifice annually. But I want you to call this to mind. Every year, I want you to come back to this point. Do not forget what I have done for you. Do not forget how I have saved you, how I stepped in and set you free. So each year, the Hebrew people would gather from all over at the temple to make sacrifices and to eat a sacrificial lamb as a memorial. That's the backdrop of the story. Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He goes to the temple. And what he sees there upsets him. Okay, we're going to get into the details of that presently, but first, here's a very important truth for us in this conversation. Anger has a place. Anger has a place. And I say that because we might be inclined to think that anger is bad. Right? Don't get upset. Don't get angry. That's a bad thing. That's an ungodly thing. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture shows us, shows us something different. But, but here's the thing, church. So often in our lives, we can derive our perspective on life, our beliefs on life, based on our experience instead of the Scriptures. Some of you, I'm sure, have had very bad experiences with anger. Whether that's somebody in your life, somebody close to you, somebody you you trusted, somebody who's very influential, and they didn't handle anger well. They didn't handle it in a good or helpful way. And so your impression from that has been anger is bad. It's not. It's not. I need you to see that. Jesus is perfect. He has never deviated. He has never departed from God's design, God's desires. And yet, he got angry. The text uses this word zeal. Now, now that's not a frequent choice in our vocabulary. I doubt you're walking around telling people, I'm feeling very zealous today. Like, is there a zealous emoji? What does that look like? I don't know. We don't, we don't use this word, so let me tell you what it, what it literally conveys. According to scholars, the Greek word, when it's spoken, sounds like bubbling water. And the idea that this conveys is boiling. We speak like this too, don't we? They're <laughs> boiling over. 
Their blood is boiling. That's exactly what's going on here. Jesus is hot. Listen, this is not the only place. It's not, it's not a one-off. This is not the only place that God is described as expressing anger. He's, he's not some cold, detached, emotionless entity. There are things that upset him. There are things that grieve his heart. Elsewhere, Scripture uses words like wrath. The Hebrew word for wrath speaks of being enraged or indignant. It literally describes foaming at the mouth. That's a fun picture, isn't it? Have you ever been so mad that stuff started coming out of your mouth? What do we do with that, church? I mean, maybe this image of God is a hard one for us. Maybe it's unsettling, and to that, I would say that it absolutely should be. When we think of God in this way, it should be unsettling to us. We absolutely should have a deep reverence and respect for a holy and just God. So many of the issues in our world and in our lives are symptomatic of a deficiency of this. A lack of reverence, a lack of understanding of who God is. Now, I hope to come back to this later in the series, but for now, let me just say this. We should be grateful that God is angered by evil. Yeah. We should be grateful that God is angered by injustice, angered by wrongdoing, angered by things that are destructive to those who are made in his image. Because if he was not, if that didn't trouble him, what kind of a God would he be? Not a good one. Not a good one. We need to see this. There is room in holiness. There is room in goodness for anger. To that point, sometimes it's necessary. That's true for God. It's true for us. If if we are attuned to his heart, if we care about what he cares about, there will be times where we are upset. We are angered by what we see happening in the world. Anger has a place. Now, we're not going to stop there. We need a little bit more context, a few more details on it. Building on that, here's here's another guideline for us. Don't rush to rage. Don't don't rush into that. Pay attention to the pace here. What does it say? Well, it says that Jesus makes a whip. I remember a conversation in which our good friend, our our fearless leader, Jim Wood, talked about this. He pointed this out. How, How Jesus took the time to make a whip. It takes, he, didn't, he didn't go buy one. He didn't grab one that was lying around. He made one. It takes time to manufacture this. He doesn't immediately erupt. Before enacting his, his emotion, he sits with it for a while. Now, I would have loved to have been there for this. From, from a distance, of course. Not, not in the line of fire, but... I really wonder, what are the disciples thinking as they watch this happen? 
What's, what's going on in their minds? You see Jesus over there just, maybe he's muttering to himself. Okay. Thaddeus. What's he doing? I don't know, Bartholomew. Do you know? Like is, is, is he, is he going to set up his own table to sell crafts? That's what's going on. Hey, it's a marketplace. I'll set up, I'll sell some crafts. Visit my, my Etsy store for more handmade items. <laughs> Ladies got that. Guys are like, what the heck is Etsy? To, to the point, this is good advice for all of us. Sit with it a while. Sit with it a while. Don't, don't just erupt. Don't, don't just explode. Explore it. What's going on here? Be, be intentional. Don't be impulsive. So, so the next time that you start feeling angry, here's, here's a little bit of advice. Take time and walk away for a little bit, okay? Go get yourself some cords and braid a whip. Don't do that last part. That, that, was, just, that was just a joke. Listen, this is the consistent counsel when it comes to the topic of anger. Go slow. Go slow. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, the part, part one of the Bible, God has described using these terms. He's slow to anger. It's repeated again and again, almost like a creed. This is what we believe about God. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. This is who God is. It is his character. Here's the point, church. As his people, that should be our character too. Slow to anger should describe us. There's a guy named James who's a younger brother of Jesus. He writes a letter that says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why is that, James? James. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Again, it does not say don't get angry. It says don't be quick to get there. Don't be quick to get there. Because if our anger is only human in nature, if it's only, it's only coming from us, it's only a product of self, and it's not aligned with God's heart, it will not accomplish God's purposes. And it, will, it will break, but it will not build. So, so don't rush into rage. Here's a third truth for us. Get mad for what matters. So if you're like me, reading this story, maybe you're wondering, why did Jesus get mad? What's, what's going on here that set him off? There's, there's a lot of conjecture about this, a lot of conversation of what the reasoning is. But in my studies, I read some commentary from Bible scholars that shed some light on this. They, they clarify it's not the fact that people are engaging in commerce, buying and selling. And sometimes that's where we go with it, right? They're, they're buying and selling stuff, and, and God doesn't like that. That's not the reason. This is, in fact, a, a helpful, perhaps even a necessary service for people who are traveling long distances to be there in Jerusalem. 
Right? At this point in history, they're not, they're not just traveling from, from across the nation. Some people are traveling from regions beyond the nation, and it's much more effective for them to be able to come to Jerusalem and buy an animal on site than to transport it, right? If you don't believe me, try stashing a, a, a sheep the next time you take a flight, okay? So it's not what is happening that is the issue. It's where it's happening. This marketplace used to occur in the nearby Kidron Valley, but for some reason it has now moved into an area called the Court of the Gentiles. Now, if you look at a blueprint of the temple, this place where God's people come to worship, the Court of Gentiles is the only place, it's the only part of the temple where people who are not Hebrew can come to connect with God. If you're not a Hebrew, if you're not a Jew, you're not allowed to go any further. This is where you stay. So this setup that's happening is effectively putting a barrier between people and God. It's getting in the way. God made a space for them to come, but now people are not allowing that to happen. And if I can go off off of my notes for, for just a minute, church... This still happens. It still happens. We as the people of God have to be so guarded against putting obstacles in place that God does not put in place that keep people who don't yet know him from knowing him. We don't want to be that church. We don't want to be that church. Jesus is not okay with this. This goes against everything that he came to accomplish, doesn't it? He came to bridge the gap, not to push people away. He's angry for the right reasons. We should be angry for the right reasons. Now, I think some guiding questions are in order here to help us discern, determine if anger is the appropriate response in a given situation. Okay, so when you, when you start feeling this rise up inside, when you're feeling upset, ask yourself, is this worth it? More specifically, is this something that God would be upset over? And therefore, I should be upset over, or, or is it just me? Like, dig, dig deep into that. Try to, try to unpack and, and flesh out what's going on. Why is this bothering me so much? It, is it the issue? Is it the other person? Or is it me? Am I the one with the issue? Is, it, is this triggering something inside of me that I need to deal with? For that matter, is this about principle? Is this about right or wrong? Or is it just about preference? Can I tell you, church, too often we confuse those two two categories. We make things that are preferences into principles. We can't do that. We can't do that. That causes so much unnecessary frustration, so much unnecessary friction. Save your rage for the right things. One final takeaway here, and I think it, ties together these other truths. It's this. Matt can motivate. 
Anger should have an aim. It should be directed to accomplish something. If, if you can step back and assess your emotions and your anger isn't aiming at something, it's not accomplishing anything. Anger that accomplishes nothing, anger that is aimless is a parasite. It will deplete you. It will drain you. It will destroy you. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm just mad, and I don't know why. That will consume you, friend. That's not godly anger. But, but on the flip side of this, this emotion can be a very effective catalyst for change. There was a gym that I attended when we lived on the East Coast. And oftentimes when I went there, I would see an older gentleman who must have been former military. Right? He certainly looked the part, dressed the part, talked the part. I never did learn his real name, but everybody called him Sarge. Right? And Sarge, Sarge was intense. And I remember one time overhearing him, he was, he was training another guy. And he told this other guy to get mad at the weight. And, and that stuck with me because I think, I think there's something to that. Maybe it's why, you know, if you ever go to a gym, a, a lot of times you hear angry music playing. You know what I mean when I say that? It's just angry music. Like, man, I feel like I could lift a ton right now. Okay, just me. <laughs> just me. Mad can motivate. Mad can move. Mad can make things happen. Um, maybe an analogy will be helpful here. Going back to that driving example from last week. Okay, we might think of anger like gas. If gas is ignited, it's explosive. Yeah? You ever thrown gas on a campfire? Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> it's explosive, and it can be destructive. It can be incredibly damaging. But in the right context, when that explosion is is contained and controlled and channeled, say in an engine, it provides power that propels. In that space, in that context, it's productive, it's not destructive. Do you see the difference? We can think of anger that way too. In the right context, it's helpful. In the wrong one, it's, it's hurtful. We see that here, don't we? Jesus uses his whip to drive out the problem, to drive what is in the way, to drive that out. He scatters the, the money. He overturns the tables. Church, can I tell you that sometimes there are things that need to be driven out and scattered and overturned. We can look at our lives and we can say, this doesn't belong. This influence, that voice, that thing, that doesn't belong. It has no place in my life, my home, my family, my relationships, my thinking. Because all it is doing here is distancing me and other people from God. It does not belong. 
so, it has to go. Not welcome here. You've got to go. I'm not asking, I'm telling. Church, I think it's safe to say that there are times where we could do with a little more zeal, yeah? We could do with a little more motivation. You mad, bro? There's room in holiness. There's, there's room in goodness for anger. May what matters to God matter to us. May that move us. May that motivate us to make things happen, yeah? Yeah.